for some people, they're like, well, how do I heal this so it doesn't hurt anymore? The pain might go away from it, but the actual trigger and wound don't disappear because they're there for protection. You know, they're like there to say, hey, we've seen a pattern like this before. How do we not recreate it? Oh, emergency, emergency. This is where we've experienced something. They don't disappear, but what we do with them changes. This is the Alchemized Life Podcast, and I am your host, Ava Johanna. Transformational mentor, speaker, teacher, and most importantly, a woman on a mission to bring wellness to the world. This podcast was created to bridge the gap for anyone craving more love, health, and happiness in each and every day. And with every episode, you will receive practical guidance to create magic in your own life. Combining the expertise of wellness visionaries and thought leaders, each week we will bring it back to basics and provide you with the tools meant to empower you to thrive emotionally, physically, and spiritually. So together, let's ditch the mean girl, you can't sit with us vibes, grab your favorite yoga pants, and start to find your uniquely alchemized life. All right, you guys, welcome back to the Alchemized Life podcast. My computer is at 5%, but I like living on the edge as I do with my cell phone and all of my electronics. And I'm going to record this intro. Hopefully it will not die in the process of doing so. I hope that everyone is having a beautiful week so far, and I hope that you have been enjoying these re-releases of some of my favorite episodes. I am so excited for you to listen to this episode. It is the highest downloaded episode of all time on the podcast, and I'm really not surprised because Mark Groves is just the most amazing human being I have ever met. I'm not even kidding. He is absolutely incredible, and if you've ever followed him on Instagram or listened to his podcast, then you know he just has so much to offer in terms of personal development, relationship growth, and really becoming the master of your own life through owning your shit and showing up for yourself, having healthy boundaries, and really breaking from the stigma. So we talk about all of that today. And again, this was one of my favorite episodes. It's the highest downloaded episode. And I just really loved being able to talk to Mark at the very, very beginning of the podcast. This literally came out as the fourth episode. So if you're new to this podcast community and haven't listened to it, it's because it's way, way back in the archives, but you're really going to enjoy this episode. And I met Mark, gosh, at Wanderlust in Oahu years ago, I think two years ago, three years ago, and just enjoyed hearing from him so much. And since then have followed his work religiously, followed his podcast religiously, have met up with him a few times through the Wanderlust community. And just every single time he brings me so much joy, so much support and so much love. And so you guys are really going to feel that in this episode. And I'm just really excited for you all to listen. You know, this month has been a really beautiful gift for me to take a little bit of a step back from the podcast altogether to get excited again. You know, I've been doing it for almost two years now and I have changed so damn much since the beginning of this journey, as I'm sure those of you that are OG listeners 
listeners have as well too. And I'm really excited for what's to come over the next month as we transition into year three of the podcast. Things are going to be a little different and I'm excited for that. I hope you guys are excited too. And you know, your feedback is so supportive of really making sure that this podcast stays in alignment with what you want and what you desire and what you expect from this platform and from me as well. So know that I'm always here to talk to and I absolutely love receiving messages from all of you. Just talking about these different tools and hearing what resonates with you and just being able to, you know, bring the community even more together, especially during this time, you know, Usually when I'm recording, I'm talking to a screen or talking to someone on Zoom. And so it's always so just powerful for me to have conversations with all of you. So if you haven't taken the time to introduce yourself, please do so. My podcast Instagram is at The Alchemized Life and my personal Instagram is at Ava Johanna. And I truly, truly love talking to all of you. It's my favorite thing ever. Corey probably gets a little annoyed, my husband, um, because I spend more time on my phone when I'm podcasting. But you know what? I don't mind it because I have such a beautiful community and I love you all so much. So anyways, you're going to enjoy this episode today. I think so. I really, really think so. And if you haven't already, we are, oh my gosh, like three weeks away from the Academy of Breath starting and the group that's coming together is blowing my damn mind. I'm truly so excited and we still have spots available it's open enrollment and the six-week online breathwork and meditation certification is going to be one that truly, truly changes your life. And I received an email this week from someone who had a kind of negative experience with breathwork. And this isn't the first time that I've heard this because so many of my friends and just people in this community have shared negative experiences with breathwork. And it really breaks my heart to hear those experiences of either teachers that weren't able to hold space in a safe way and make their environment a loving and light environment or just techniques that were not given to the right person. So someone that struggles with a lot of anxiety doing a technique that actually perpetuated the anxiety. And, you know, this is why I really wanted to start the Academy of Breath is because these tools are so powerful and so transformational with the right teachers, with the right techniques. And, you know, giving a meditation practice or a breathwork practice to someone who has struggled with anxiety or has PTSD and telling them to go sit in their mind and like clear their head actually creates more stress, more anxiety, more skilled leaders. This is why we need more teachers and facilitators that really understand what's happening in the brain, what's happening in the body and can create a safe container for their students. So more people can experience these transformational tools in a safe way and an effective way. So that's what this this certification program is really all about creating skilled healers, creating teachers that really have a confident and clear understanding of these different tools, what's happening in the brain, what's happening in the body, and can facilitate with their community in a way that creates this ripple effect out into the world that really supports their community in not only just using the tools once or twice, but creating a consistent practice. Because I know how much my life has changed. I know how much my clients' lives have changed from creating 
creating a consistent practice. And I just want more people to experience it. I don't want people to dabble in it. I want the whole damn world meditating. So if you are interested in joining this tribe and joining this experience and joining this community and this certification program, the Academy of Breath starts on June 1st. Again, enrollment is currently open. So you can head to the link in the show notes to learn more. There's payment plans available. You can pay in full. And we're also offering partial scholarships. The scholarship period officially closed for full scholarships, but I wanted to extend partial scholarships. So if you go to the landing page that's in the show notes and go down to the FAQ section, there is a link to the scholarship application. So if you need a partial scholarship, I am here. I see you and I want you to have these tools as well. And so you can go there, fill out the application and I'll get back to you within 48 hours, sending you details on how you can retrieve the partial scholarship. So with that being said, let's jump into this episode. Mark Groves is here. His Instagram handle is at create the love. He's fucking incredible. You guys are going to love this episode. I hope that you enjoy it. If you're not already subscribed, make sure to subscribe to the podcast. That's how we get this message and these tools out to even more people. And it means the world to me for you guys to subscribe and support because that's how I can continue bringing these episodes out to you. And same goes for our sponsors. They are absolutely amazing. Some of my favorite brands and they're truly sponsoring this podcast so we can continue to put episodes out here, continue to get incredible guests on the podcast. So make sure to go check them out as well. They're all in the Welcome, Mark Groves, to the Alchemized Life podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you for joining me. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for um, making the time. Of course, of course. So I got a little glimpse of your personal journey when I met you at Wanderlust and you gave that incredible talks on relationships. But I think it would be great for our listeners to kind of hear how your personal journey has narrated the work that you do today. Oh, man, my um, personal journey was for sure the birth of my work um, today and continues to sort of be the inspiration behind the motivation to learn certain things. I often joke with people just saying that like the beginning of my work was very selfishly based. It had nothing to do with other people. It was trying to understand why I wasn't great at communicating. At the time that I began, you know, the journey of wanting to understand relationships on a much deeper level, I'd already been learning about communication and I was working in sales. I was also learning about like, how do you change someone's behavior? How do you get them to choose a different product? How do you, how do you really get into the psyche of human change? But it was so much more about <laughs> manipulating human behavior to get them to do what I wanted rather than, you know, being uh, from a, I guess, an integral place or something like that. And when I had a relationship in when I was 27, that's where I was like, why am I so good at talking about everything else but my feelings? I I knew it wasn't a skill set issue. There was something deeper going on and I didn't know what it was. And and that mystery alone was was sort of the beginning of the motivation was like, man, how do I, why do some relationships last and others not? Why did I want to get married even though I didn't want to get married? You know, there were so many questions I had and I continue to have (laughs) about relationships. And as my, you know, it's like sometimes I, could ask questions about parenting. And I'm like, well, I can give you what I think is the answer. But when I'm actually in it, it'll probably be a little bit different because I'll be tired all the time. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. So I, from 
starting to work with people on a one-on-one level, was that something that you did right off the bat? I know that you had ended your relationship and kind of dove into this personal journey, but how did you get to a point of saying, well, I want to start doing this for other people? Yeah, it wasn't till probably about six years, maybe five years later that a friend of mine, we were talking about what would I like to do if I could do anything? And my answer was I would write and speak on relationships. And then it, you know, it wasn't until about two or three years later that I actually started. So, you know, I went back to school. I studied positive psychology, which is essentially the science behind what makes a human flourish. You know, what makes humans um, have a great life? What's the difference between them and people who don't? And that just seemed like the right science that I wanted to know more about. But yeah, it would. It it wasn't till about four years ago that I actually started working with people. You know, and the first Instagram post I did was, you know, four and a half years ago. And I think about how just how serendipitous life is. Cause, you know, when I did that post, I was with my family in Mexico and I'd just gone through a breakup and I started posting on Instagram. I'd post a quote and then I'd write about it. And I think my friend liked it. And that was my first, you know, like I had one follower. And then (laughs) it's just crazy how, you know, I didn't know what I was doing, but I knew that I needed to start excising, you know, like letting out this cathartic experience of just letting out what I was learning. But also in a way, the excising part is I was sharing my own shame, sharing my own failures, sharing my own relational weaknesses, and then learning from them and reading whatever I could. And then teaching from that place. But really, as I was writing it, that was sort of like, or speaking about it, that was my form of integration. That was my form of like putting it into consumable, understandable words that are not academic or they're not. It was sort of like, I don't know, it was sort of like the alchemy of science and spirituality just through my own experience. I don't know if that makes sense. We're all about alchemy here. Um, so speaking of Instagram, your name on Instagram and your slogan is create the love. So what exactly does that mean? Well, I started to really uh, in my own experience first, but then observationally, you know, I just expected lo- me to be good at love. Like I just expected myself to be good at relationship. And I think it's a fascinating thing about relationships and sex that we just think we're going to be good at them. And, you know, as much as if everyone has humility who's listening, your first time was probably not your best time. You know, like I hope you've raised your game since then. <laughs> um, you know, from an egoic standpoint, maybe we wouldn't say that. But I think it's just fascinating that we, we, we have no external education on relationship. You know, really, for the most part, maybe 0.1% of schools actually teach it. I don't even know a school that does. But teaching romantic relationship, how to be in relationship, how to communicate. I mean, these are the skills that will determine the quality of our life. And yet we're not taught about money, nutrition, and love. And these are the three things that are going to really determine how long we live, the quality of our lives. And you know, I think that create the love became this idea of you're responsible. Like if you want to have the love that you talk about, Step the fuck up. Like we really need to to step, you know, I just felt like we were living in victim mode and with our blinders on. And I was. I was living with my I didn't know why I wanted these things. I never asked myself why. Because I was just doing what I was taught. I was doing what 
growing up being Catholic, what you're taught. But I never took a moment to say like, do I actually want these things? Why do I want them? What's important to me? What kind of relationship do I actually want to have? What are my values? You know, what kind of legacy do I want to leave? Not from like a achievement perspective, but from like whose lives I've touched. And I never thought about that. You know, I read Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, which is an amazing book. And he's a, a psychologist or a psychiatrist who, you know, survived the um, concentration camps in Nazi Germany. And he wrote about survival and, and, and when a man has a why, he'll go through any what. And I never thought of shit. I never even thought of that. You know, so the Create the Love was born from like, let's stop fucking around. Like you want what you say you want, what are you doing? What are you choosing? And and I really thought then too, you know, it's like we can all have the love we crave if we create it. Yeah, I think that's so powerful. And it's interesting because these things that are so integral to our human experience are things that we kind of shy away from exposing and teaching like sex, money, love, all of those things, you know, no one has information about it and is almost shamed to talk about these things when they're some of the most important things in our lives. Yeah, and you know, like all of them, you're exactly right, hold a lot of shame. Like relational histories for families hold a lot of shame. Um, Divorce in families hold a lot of shame, especially in very spiritual, I'll call it, but more religious families. Um, Failure in the idea of relationship, there's so much shame. So people just, they, they endure. They survive. They're just surviving in a relationship. They're just surviving to keep a family together, not recognizing that sometimes families are completely blown apart within a family, uh, a family system that's together. So I, you know, I really wanted to sort of like ratify this thought that just because you're in relationship, you're good at them. <laughs> like, like being together is one marker of success, but it's certainly not the greatest one. And even length of relationship, like it started to, I started to look at like, wait, we celebrate anniversaries, but when's the last time you heard someone celebrate the quality of a relationship? Like grandma and grandpa are together 75 years, they hate each other, but they're together 75 years. And yet you have um, young people being shamed today for throwing away relationships, you know, like they don't love like we did back in our day. You hear shit like that all the time. And I don't think that people take commitment less seriously today. I actually think people want more from a relationship and they actually take love more seriously. Um, I do think that we're in a bit of an interesting time where we have so much choice as where our past um, generations didn't have a lot of choice. Now we have globalization. We can, you know, for the most part, a lot of people, the people who have the privilege of being in developed countries, you can choose your partners. You know, you can, you know, you can go out and be like, well, I like him and I don't like him. And before you had to settle for the other guy because he lived down the road, you know, from your house and you were never going to move away from your little village. So what do you think about dating apps then? I think dating apps have to be used with the true intention of why you want to use them. You know, I see them as a tool and I say to people like, I can hand you a hammer, you can build a house or you could kill someone. You know, and it's no different with a dating app, with Tinder, Bumble, all of them can be really phenomenal um, ways of connecting to people and serendipitously meeting people that you might, you would have likely never met. 
And I think that's just so powerful. Um, but I hear so many people caught up in the story, like Tinder's just for hookups. It is if you see it that way. Like that's what you're, if you're on it and you see it that way, then we know that you're going to operate as if it's for hookups. And if someone sincerely comes through there, you might not even recognize it because you'll believe it's a trick or a bot or a whatever. And, and you won't see the, what opportunities are right in front of your eyes. And as humans, that's what we do is we come up with these beliefs and these thoughts that aren't real and they really just protect us from being loved. And that sounds really kind of fucked up because why would anyone want to protect themselves from being loved? But it's because most people associate love with hurt. And so they think anytime they love, they're going to get hurt. And although that potential always exists, um, it again, we become the victim of our story rather than the creator of it. And, you know, like some of the work I do with people always is what are the false fucking beliefs that are holding you back from actually creating what you want, what you say you want? And, and then let's get really clear on are they real? Because, man, we are the masters of creating subconscious uh, narratives that are so full of shit mm-hmm. that I'm just like, ah, and hey, I get mad about it because I've done it. You know, like I'm the first to call my own ass out. I've done it. I don't do it anymore because I learned about it. So how do we break past these relationship patterns then that are so ingrained in us from, you know, our our parents and society? Well, the first part is to be open to it. You know, um, we talked a bit about shame associated with sex, money and relationship. There's shame associated with looking at family patterns, family systems, and going, ah, mom and dad fucked up. You know, mom and dad weren't great partners, especially with people who had great childhoods. They have a really hard time seeing fault in their parents or if their parents really sacrificed, which, hey, is most people. It doesn't erase that your parents are human. And that's why, like, one of the most powerful things is you can just begin to see your parents as the children of parents. And then what that does is it, it sees that their wounding or their patterns of relationship are actually inherited too. No one ever taught them past that. And, you know, I, I often say to people, like, if you've never seen two people navigate a conflict and build deeper intimacy, then how would you know how? Like, unless you went out and got the education yourself, which if you're listening to this, you likely are in the midst of doing or have already done, then you'll learn. But the trick is, is that then you get to a place in a relationship where you might have been hurt before or rejected or cheated on or whatever. And you get to that place that you've been just past and subconsciously you find a way to sort of sabotage it. And that's why when you can become aware of where conflict is ended relationships or created disconnection, you can start to build connection past there. So if your family pattern has a lot of defensiveness and anger and criticism or whatever, we all have that in our family patterns, FYI, everyone, then you likely have never learned how to build connection past that point. Mm. So the first part is always awareness um, and non-judgment. Compassion for your past, compassion for what you've done, compassion. Because in everything that hurts, there is wisdom. Like in everything that sucks, there is mastery waiting to be learned. And if you could start to see that, that like pain is opportunity. And the only reason we repeat patterns is because we repeat choices. We keep doing something that's the same. And I've worked with people who are saying, like, well, I've done all this learning, and why did I just then repeat the same thing? And I'm like, well, you missed something. You had to miss something. 
it's a very vulnerable thing to look at relationship and say, I'm actually not good at these things. But man, once you say that, you're free. Then you're like, well, I fucked up. I'm human. I'm imperfect. What human loves another perfect human? It's all bullshit. Like anyone who has a perfect everything on Instagram is full of shit. Like, let's be honest. Like, you know, everyone that you've put on a pedestal will come flying off that pedestal as soon as you get to know them. Yeah. I promise, I promise <laughs> you, especially the Kardashians. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you guys, we're going to take a quick break so I can share my newest must-have, and I mean must-have work-from-home accessory, my Blue Blocks Blue Light Blocking Glasses. Now, a while ago, I tried Corey's Blue Light Blocking Glasses from a different brand, and honestly, I didn't notice any difference, so I never really joined the trend. But after meeting Andy Mann, who is the co-founder of Blue Blocks and is also going to be joining us on the podcast soon because he is absolutely brilliant, I realized why Corey's glasses never really made a difference. So to back up a little bit, if you didn't already know, we have blue light emitted naturally in the world and unnaturally from our screens. And since the majority of us are working from home right now or glued to our smartphones constantly, we're getting a pretty big dose of blue light, which can disrupt our sleep patterns, cause headaches or eye strain and itchy dry eyes by the end of the day. Over time, this can impact our hormones, our stress levels, and immune system. If we're not getting sleep or we are constantly in a state of stress, everything goes down the drain from digestion to early aging. You guys know how I like to get down and nerdy talking about stress and ways to regulate it. So unlike most blue light blocking glasses, blue blocks actually work because they follow the necessary technology and light blocking shown in all of the peer-reviewed academic research studies. Blue blocks are made in Australia too, which as you guys know is my favorite place in the world, versus China where they are mass produced and not actually up to the standards of the research that proves the effectiveness of blue light blocking glasses. So if you've ever tried these glasses before and didn't notice a difference like me, it's likely because they aren't high enough quality to adhere to the peer-reviewed academic research that's been done promoting the usage of blue light blocking glasses. So that's really where blue blocks comes in. They work, they are all up to the standards of the research, and I've just noticed such a big difference. My frames are super cute too. Like I wear them constantly. If you've seen me in my Instagram stories and I don't need a prescription for my eyes, but if you do, you can also order them with a prescription. Plus I got them super fast and they offer free worldwide shipping. Blue Blocks is a sponsor of the Alchemize Life podcast. And as a sponsor, they are making the show possible. So it would mean the world to me and the awesome team over at Blue Blocks for you to check out their site and their glasses. I got the Jasper frames. I love a tortoiseshell moment. And I'll link Blue Blocks in the show notes for you. But you can also go to blueblocks.com forward slash alchemized and use the code alchemized at checkout for 15% off. That's Blue Blocks, B L U blox.com forward slash alchemized and the code is So you talk about building awareness and I 100% agree um, as a meditation teacher, you know, awareness is that first main element of meditation and just how we are supposed to be sculpting our lives. So for you, how do you, how did you start building that awareness when you were just building everything? Man, it was, it was recognizing how I was hurting people. Um, and often that was too late. Like it was after I'd heard someone that I was like, oh my God, like 
why did I do this? Who am, what are my choices? Who am I really? Because I, I, there's a lot of shame that comes from saying, I've hurt you. There's a lot of shame that comes from looking at our choices like cheating or lying or whatever it is, right? And I had to stay in that space where, and you know, that's a continuous space that you have to learn from is whenever you do something wrong, it is human to feel guilt and shame. And most of us disconnect from ourselves then. We we don't want to feel that. So we deny what's the truth. We we come up with a story in our head that makes the truth less painful. For me, it was really about staying connected to that. I didn't always do it well. I didn't always do it. I used to avoid shame by drinking, you know, or like trying to find affirmation in casual encounters. And that was really like I made rules like no intimacy for till I really care about someone, which sounds really backwards, I know, but I had to make that rule like I was only going to be intimate with someone that I knew it was the next logical step rather than a qualifying step to see if there was connection. And that allowed me to re-relate to how I related to other people. And what I mean by that, I call it a, I call it, called it a Vaj vacation is what I took. <laughs> and with clients uh, who are female and heterosexual, I call it a dong detox, but you could do any gender combination. I or, those. <laughs> yeah. And, and really what it does is it really is um, love addiction, sex addiction in some sense. And I know the, the word addiction has a lot of weight with it, um, but there's so much range in what addiction really means. Really, it's an avoidance of pain in some sense. And so I just started, I made it so I was not allowed. It was like cold turkey. I didn't date unless I was overwhelmingly called to go out with this person. And if I went out with them and I wasn't overwhelmingly feeling called to going out again, I didn't. And I started to just trust that. And it was amazing what happened. I got to know myself on a much deeper level. And I got to know the pain that I was avoiding from past heartbreaks. And, and so the, uh, you were talking about mindfulness and meditation. I started to dance in that space, started to learn meditation, started to create space in my whole experience because, you know, Triggers and wounds don't go away, and they're never going to. And you know, for some people, they're like, "Well, how do I heal this so it doesn't hurt anymore?" The pain might go away from it, but the actual trigger and wound don't disappear because they're there for protection. You know, they're like there to say, "Hey, we've seen a pattern like this before. How do we not recreate it?" Oh, emergency, emergency! This is where we've experienced something. They don't disappear, but what we do with them changes. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So like I use it as information to instead of being overtly reactive and attack or defend or withdraw, I now stay and observe what it's asking of me. I hope that is that clear. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that was the thing that I came up and asked you after Wanderlust Oahu. You know, I feel like I am aware of what my triggers are, but how do I make them go away? And that's exactly what you said. And that has stuck with me ever since. And I've told that story over and over. And I think the two months since it's been wanderlust, because it's such a powerful concept to realize that these things aren't going to leave us, but it's how we react or respond, better said, to these triggers that shows where we grow. So I thought that that was such a powerful sentiment and really appreciated that you shared that with me and are sharing it again, because it just, it did change my, my life. Well, I'm so happy that's helpful. I mean, for me, that was a big change of how do I 
since I can't change my past, and none of us can, unless some of you have some super amazing skill that's amazing, I would love to know. So what do I do with it? Like, I need to come to terms with it. I need to accept things I've done, things I've said that I'm not proud of, or things I've done that I'm not proud of. And that's where I started to look, that the pain disappears when you give a purpose. You know, the that we're so brilliant. Like humans are so brilliant. And there's so much wisdom in all your experience. And you either see what you go through as a gateway to becoming your best self and healing. If you believe in past lives, you're healing past lives. If you're thinking about even hereditary pain, you look up your family tree. I, I promise you for the most part, what you're going through, everyone's gone through, but no one's actually figured out how to get through it. And when you get through it, you don't give it to your kids, which, hey, if that's not motivation, I don't know what is. That's why when kids piss you off, they're a great invitation to your own healing too. You know, kids are such a beautiful mirror to our own shit. Can't wait to have them so I can really uh, get into that. Yeah, next level of learning for sure. <laughs> right, I'll be like this little Yoda, he's teaching or she's teaching <laughs> me a lot. Um, that's amazing. So from a more relationship area, you know, as a woman, it can be really challenging sometimes for my partner to embrace the more communicative feminine side, you would say. So as a male, how have you learned to do this for yourself and for your clients? Yeah, the dance of the masculine and feminine, because you see that in, you know, in heterosexual couples, you see that also in same sex relationships. And, uh, you know, any combination of your toolkit, whatever it is, is that you often see this dance between masculine and feminine and and someone generally takes on the more what we would sort of subjectively call masculine, which would probably be more assertiveness, more um, less uh, verbal, emotional communication. Um, probably we associate aggression with masculinity, although I don't know that that's fair. Um, it's just expressed differently. And then in the feminine, you have sort of the dance, the chaos, the communication. Some people talk about it being the waves hitting the shore and the masculine being the shore. Uh, which doesn't sound that great now that it's <laughs> it, that that it should be more like the lighthouse or the stability. Man, in the communication, you know, because in my experience, I've worked with a lot of women who call themselves bad communicators too. You know, so I don't think it's a gender-based thing. I also, it, it becomes a bit of a, um, when we put people in a box of what is male and what is female, it becomes hard because not everyone fits in that box. And, you know, the difference between men and women is actually less than the difference within men and within women. So, but it still doesn't um, solve the conundrum of what happens when someone is an overt communicator and someone else uh, isn't, right? Mm-hmm. Man, those are two tough worlds because the masculine or, or men in general have not been socialized to uh, be great communicators and to have emotional um, language. And women have, and even if you look at the research on how a male baby is treated right from birth versus a female baby, um, when people think they're male or female based on being dressed in pink or blue, they treat them differently right away. So, you know, and then we know that when men go through puberty and when women go through puberty, the estrogen is theoretically has a different effect on the brain. So it causes more interconnections between the left and right hemisphere. So that's why women build more ability between, you know, logical mind versus emotional mind. And so that's why they're able to sort of dance in a conversation much more skillfully than a man generally is. Um, so, so if there's some sense of compassion you can have for your male or masculine partner, 
that's one piece. It's just like you might actually just be more skilled in that language. And knowing myself and knowing I wasn't so good at those emotional communication skills before, it took a lot of practice. You know, I think when you can look at your partner and say, wow, I've like actually had sort of like a socialized advantage. And now I'm asking him or her to meet me in this space that is totally foreign to them. And often what happens with men, and I'll just speak from my own experience, but what I've observed is if they go to say something or they're thinking about it and they're taking their time and the female partner is like, why don't you know? Like, why don't you have it yet? You said the wrong word. And the guy, so what happens is, is now the man isn't doing it right. (laughs) And then he's not using the right word and he's not. And so there's no safety to even explore that. Because what happens when the man does that is often causes a lack of safety or insecurity for the female partner. Um, So I think some ground rules are just important to have is like, hey, we're allowed to have redos. We're allowed to come back to conversations and have done it wrong. You know, and and we're allowed to give each other feedback, but in a way that we're going to learn how to build language so that we don't sound critical. But the dance is important. And and I think as a couple, you have to build agreements into your relationship, you know, and all relationships have agreements. That's, I promise you, whether you speak them or don't, there are unwritten, unspoken agreements. And it's kind of like the idea of the word marriage. You know, if someone says, I totally disagree with marriage, I can't, I'm at da, 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 right? And that's often because they come from a family history where divorce was devastating or something like that. Or they look at, you know, religious based marriages and they go, I don't want any of that. You know, um, but I always say to people, like, just redefine the word. Like, what do you want a marriage to be? And then build it that way and then do that and find someone else who wants to do the same. But a lot of people get married and never talk about what it actually means. A lot of people enter relationship and don't talk about what it actually means. So, you know, for my partner and I, our conversations are about, hey, like, we're open to learning more about communication. We're, we're free to give each other feedback. I've learned so much from just having a woman who mirrors what I need to know that I don't do well sometimes. And um, being able to be open and non-defensive in hearing that. I haven't always been good at that. I'm not always good at it. But I always return back to the things that we talk about. And if I feel like I didn't respond in a positive way or the right way, I'll ask for a redo. And so in your relationship, build a culture that's about growth and emotional communication. Um, But I think also have the um, compassion and patience to watch their progress. If you're the one who's emotionally, more emotionally skilled. I definitely see more so now because you know, if you listen to like the work of Esther Perel, she talks about how it's easier if I reference a woman who said this, because if I said this, I might not um, be able to get away with it. <laughs> it is, she says that um, we've fought for the last 50 years, we've fought for every role for a woman, like a woman really can take every role within a relationship, the provider, the parent, you know, they can take any role. But for a man, we haven't fought for more roles. You know, we we offer the provider role. And if that's not there, men are often shamed as the parent or the stay at home parent, um, not by their partner, so to speak, but by society, by other men. Um, And not to say that that's not true for women, because for women now, if you're not if you're not working and being a mom, are you a good enough mom? Or, you know, if you're a stay at home mom, then 
like, oh, why aren't you working? You know, so I know everyone has an experience of this, but I think to be able to recognize that men need a role in your life and not needing a man. Imagine if, if, if your man said, I don't need you, you know, like that's, there's no reward for that. Um, and I think that women have lost themselves to relationship previously, which is totally understandable and patriarchy, not also to mention that as a mom, it's like inherent in a woman to like give themselves away and put other people first in order to feel uh, like they're maintaining the quality of the family and all those things. But you know, like one thing that my partner does is she always hands me like the, you know, a jar to open it. I know she can open the damn jar, but it's, it's such a small thing, but it's like saying like, I need you. And I know that sounds so fucking small, but it's not because she only has access to peanut butter because of me. And that's a pretty big access point. You know, like if you can't have peanut butter because you don't have Mark or your partner, then it's just a small message that says, like, I need you and I can depend on you. And I surrender to that. And I think that's just a really uh, beautiful offering for people to just like allow your, your partner to help. Yeah, it's really hard to ask for help. Yeah, it is. It definitely is. I mean, coming from having tried to work up the corporate ladder and, you know, wear my bossy pants, having to step Mm -hmm. back and take a more feminine role can be challenging. And I think that when we're as a woman working with like the masculine and the feminine, it can almost be off putting in a way in relationships and can start to drip into other areas of the relationship, like our sex life or, you know, um, wanting to be pampered or something like that. So would you say, I love the jar idea because it is such a simple act, but what would you say are other ways to kind of balance that masculine and feminine um, as a female or as a male? Well, I think if you're a female and you find yourself in the overtly pursuant masculine role, where you tend to be in relationship with softer, more sensitive men, it really is about surrendering and taking a step back. And I think that you you could also get into like attachment theory with that too, you know, that it's more of an anxious um, avoidant attachment style. Um, But I think one of the things is being able to recognize like, if there's no space for someone to step into, i.e. a man, if you're a very aggressive, assertive, corporate ladder climbing female who's seeking to be your own provider and to not need anyone, then you likely do attract soft, sensitive men. And those men often there's no space for them to actually be a man within that role. And so it really is about taking an opportunity to look at yourself and how do these show up for you? You know, I encourage everyone to read a book like uh, The Way of the Superior Man by David Data. Because it really talks about masculine and feminine energy. And you know, one of the things it says in it that always resonated with me that I wish I knew before I read it, but I didn't, is um, that your woman does not want to be the most important thing in your life. She wants to be the most important person. And the moment that you make her more important than your own integrity, your own convictions, what you want in life, and what is your purpose, you lose her. Because she can't trust you because you put her ahead of what's important to you. And I I found that so fascinating because then I started to look at like the Rolodex of all the times in my life that a woman has tested me to see if I'd say no, to see if I'd actually say like, that's bullshit. 
And then there's something funny that happens when you finally say no. All of a sudden, the woman's like, oh, finally. <laughs> like, this is getting interesting. And what you're doing is creating sexual tension, too. Because now there's, and, and you know, you're separating who you are from who they are. Um, and I think a lot of men, especially men who are children of feminists and children of this past couple generations, we tend to be more feminized because we're afraid to be what the media tells us we are, rapists, murderers, aggressive, you know, and so we don't want to be controlling. We don't want to repeat what maybe we saw our fathers do. And so we don't know, though, how to have balanced boundaries with that, you know, and, and, and I don't think that's always true, but it's often true. Um, that that we just there's a lot of fear about being aggressive, and I think that also spills into the bedroom too. Is like, you know, we want polarity within the bedroom of like someone who's taking and someone who's being taken, and that's you know really an important aspect. There can't be two takers; you're going to bump into each other. You know, so it's really like a different aspect of being able to recognize how does the masculine show up for you, how does the feminine show up for you, which one is more your default, and then how do you find balance? Um, within the relationship because it's going to shift often. And then how do you find polarity within the bedroom? You know, because that's uh, it's all, it's all so simple, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned boundaries. How have you used boundaries in your current relationship and your past relationships? Well, in most of my past relationships, I didn't. <laughs> so that was, there's that. <laughs> I think I was really afraid to have boundaries. One, because of what I was saying earlier, that I was really afraid to appear as controlling. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really afraid to say no too, because I, I had associated sometimes like conflict with with anger or with like high volume yelling, fighting, um, and then people leaving. So I was conflict avoidant in a lot of ways, um, and because of that, I didn't have boundaries. I wouldn't yell. I wouldn't get angry. I was detached from anger. And you know, I, I say to people now, like, there's a difference between anger and aggression. And we often associate anger with aggression, but anger is actually such an important thing. And, you know, for example, like look at what women are doing now, like the Me Too movement and the feminist movement and what the women's march. Like women are angry and rightfully so. And they're using that anger in a clean way. Sometimes not, but that's okay. There's always extremes to everything. They're using anger to change the world and anger changes worlds, but anger also changes our world, our own personal world. And when I finally got angry enough, because what would happen is I'd get walked on or I wouldn't stand up for myself and then I'd get reactive and I'd push away. So it would like, it was like a, um, a pressure cooker, you know, <laughs> I'd take, get walked on enough and then I'd get mad instead of finding that, you know, when you think about the concept of boundaries, there's sort of three types. The first one is a porous boundary. So you allow other people's behavior to affect you. You see a lot of, you see when you're experiencing a lot of resentment, that's a good sign or a lot of overt anger. It's a good sign that you have a boundary that's very porous. And then the response to that is we then have a rigid boundary, which is you push away and you put a wall up. And so the difference between those is a porous boundary is you're connected to other people, but you're not protected. And then in a rigid boundary, you're protected. You have a wall that's not allowing you them availability to you. You're angry, whatever it is, you push people away, um, but you're you're not connected. So you're protected, but you're not connected. And of course, a healthy boundary is you're connected and you're protected. And for me, it was about observing where was I starting to feel like I was abandoning myself. 
Or was I starting to feel like I was compromising myself? And I knew that wherever there was resentment, it was a good sign that I was putting other people ahead of myself. And so I stopped. It like took that of, of being able to use the anger instead of it being a reactive anger. I started to be proactive with it. And I started to say like, no, that's not okay. This type of behavior doesn't work for me. Here's what's upsetting me. And I started to communicate. And you know, with my partner, she has fantastic boundaries too. And um, it's something that we celebrate in each other. Like when she says no or gets upset about something that I've done, um, I love it because she's actually teaching me how to love her. She's teaching me what's important to her. She's teaching me how what what parts of her identity really matter. And man, I find it sexy too. Like it's super hot when she gets kind of steamed up and gets upset about something and then tells me no. I'm like, yes, that's awesome. <laughs> that's amazing. So, do you think that? With boundaries, it necessarily has to be this full-on conversation where two partners sit down, or um, maybe just the opposite of you know establishing it over time. You know, I think if you are in a long-term relationship that has lacked boundaries, what'll often happen is we're we usually go from porous to rigid. So we go from like allowing too much to being reactive. You see this with couples all the time who break up and get back together or fight a lot. Um, and I don't want to say that. Fighting isn't bad or is bad. It's how we fight that actually matters. Conflict is actually really important because it means that you're learning from each other. So I think initially, often a conversation in a relationship that's very, you know, enmeshed, one person usually wants to sort of separate a little bit and like build a boundary between you and the other person. That often terrifies the other person because now you're sort of changing the agreements of of the relationship. Um, so I think it requires a compassionate conversation. It's not always going to be, and it's not always going to be easy. And what a lot of people do when they finally recognize that they've been walked on or something like that, they break up with the person um, because it's easier to do. Then have hard conversations. Um, but what I often see, and sometimes that's actually going to be the right thing to do when the other person won't hear your request. Um, but often, if we haven't done the work to learn it, we end up in a similar relationship in not so long, right? We end up just repeating the pattern because we haven't, it's easy to like push everyone away, but we still haven't had to learn yet how to interact with everyone. Because you're always going to meet people who step on you, who, who push your boundaries. You know, there's always tests and experiences, but you have to build the skill set because boundaries are a skill set. Communication is a skill set. But then after that, once you've learned the language, it can become very simple. You know, really great couples, they have a very low negativity threshold. And we often hear things like, you know, we never fight or we let the little things go, but great couples actually don't. Um, they, and I don't mean they don't let things go. But how to let them go is they actually say something. So if they're at a party and they didn't get introduced to someone and it was, you know, let's say they're male, female, and they're like, well, you didn't introduce me to that woman and that felt kind of weird. The partner doesn't go, well, you didn't introduce me to someone, you know, or hey, well, you know, you didn't introduce yourself. Instead, it's like, hey, yeah, I can totally understand that. Next time I'll do a better job. And it's done and it's connective. And what you're hearing is from your partner is like, hey, that hurt me. And there's, a really beautiful quote from John Gottman. I can't remember it exactly how it goes, but he says, the thing about really great couples in the research is that when we hurt, we don't turn away. We stay present. Like our number one priority is to repair. You know, we don't abandon each other. We don't let each other sit in pain. We repair. 
And I think that's the magic of all types of relationships is when you could put repairing and recreating security ahead of everything. Um, that's a, an agreement. Like then you, man, that's where the magic happens mm-hmm. because there's so much safety that people will open up. Even if they fuck up, they'll open up because they feel safe to fuck up. And, you know, I don't think a lot of us have ever had that experience. And so when you can become, begin to create it, you will love at levels you didn't even know existed, which I think is um, really why we're here. All right, you guys know that I have been absolutely obsessed with Sakara since I tried it last week. And I am definitely late to the game, but oh my God, it was a incredible experience. And it's so funny because I'm just talking about food, but it's also like not just food. It's like a whole experience of really nourishing your body and taking time throughout your day to feed yourself fuel that is so intentionally made, so delicious, and truly allows you to be super glowy, have digestion on fleek, and also stay super healthy throughout this time of working from home when it's so much easier to just grab snacks or something that might be less healthy for us. And so that's why I'm so excited to be sharing Sakara with you and double excited that they are a sponsor of the podcast. So if you haven't heard of Sakara, it is a nutrition company and their intention is really that wellness begins with what you eat. So I tried their three-day signature nutrition program and it's all about really bringing the transformational power of plant-rich nutrition into your home with ready-to-eat meals. So it's all plant-based, made with organic ingredients, super powerful superfoods, and each meal is expertly designed to boost immunity, improve energy, and support gut health and digestion while also getting your skin glowing. And I must say, my skin has been glowing lately. So they have really hearty salads. I got this miso soup, these incredible breakfast cookies. Oh my gosh. These are meals that I literally would never even think to make for myself. And the intentionality behind it is just mind blowing. Like the way in which they are really crafting and curating these recipes to support all of these different elements of our health from immunity to energy, to gut health and digestion. I just don't think about that when I'm in the kitchen cooking a meal. Plus they're all hundred percent plant-based, gluten-free, dairy-free and non-GMO. The other th- cool thing about Sakara is that they offer daily essentials like supplements and her- herbal teas to complete your wellness routine. So I had a detox tea every day between my meals. There were probiotics for the morning and in the evening. And they also had this really cute little Palo Santo stick that they put in to make it a really intentional experience. And so for me, it was so nice to just take a pause from my day, step away from my computer, step away from everything that I was doing, sit outside and just eat these meals and really be present with my food. It's something that I don't do enough. And having this three-day nutrition program really supported me in getting back into that habit. So right now, Sakara is offering all of our listeners 20% off your order when you go to sakara.com forward slash alchemized or enter the code alchemized at checkout. You can try their daily probiotic blend, their detox water drops with pure chlorophyll. And again, I did the three-day signature nutrition program and it blew my mind. So again, go to Sakara, that's S-A-K-A-R-A.com forward slash alchemized to get 20% off of your order. The code is also alchemized at checkout. And before we get back into the episode, let's talk about BetterHelp. 
So BetterHelp is a online platform that matches you with a licensed professional therapist based off of your needs. The cool thing about it is that they have a broad range of expertise available, which might not be locally available in your area. So it really allows you to find someone who is a perfect match for you that can really support you in the times when you need it most. I've been using BetterHelp over the past year, and it's honestly been so just efficient, convenient, and supportive of me in the times whenever I need that extra support because you can log into your account at any time and send a message to your counselor and you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions um, so you don't have to go anywhere, which is really nice. And BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches. So they make it really easy and free to change counselors if needed. Although I haven't had to do that. My counselor is amazing. What I love about BetterHelp as well is that it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling. So especially right now when so many of us are financially impacted by this pandemic, having someone there that can support you that doesn't cost an arm and a leg is just really, really helpful for getting you back on track to feeling good and experiencing happiness. If you haven't tried BetterHelp before, you got to go try them out. Even if you don't feel like you have some massive problem right now, just having someone to talk to that's objective on a weekly basis really supports your overall mental health. And it's Mental Health Awareness Month, so why not give it a try? Plus, because BetterHelp is a sponsor of The Alchemized Life, you can get 10% off of your first month. All you got to do is go to betterhelp.com forward slash alchemized. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, and join over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health. Again, one more time, that's 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash alchemized. How much would you say is too much repairing? Because I know that a lot of people have those relationships where like you mentioned, they break up and they get together, break up and get together. <laughs> um, so God, it's like, just fucking stay broken up yeah. already. Right? <laughs> I'm one of the types of people that like, if you hurt me, I'm done and I will never get back together with somebody. But um, I'm lucky to have my fiance who is absolutely incredible. And, you know, we do repair. That's right. But I know that there, I have friends that just continue repairing and have this like angst inside of them. So would you say that there's like a threshold of understanding, okay, this is, this is too much? Yeah, you know, that's the challenge with um, even writing in a small capacity. And what I mean is just by like the amount of words and not being able to give a lot of context to things is when you say something like great couples day to you know work through things people who are in very dysfunctional relationships here i better stay then and you know first thing i want to say to that is relationships ending are not failures you know like i personally don't ever because relationships end all the time so if we believe they're failures then we're fucked so i see it more like relationships that end are actually like a gift they're always a gift and you know, often people who are afraid of their own relationships ending are the ones who judge those ones the most. So my first, because that's sort of the question, how do I know if I should stay or go, right? Like that's a really challenging question. There's a lot of gray in it. So I'll give you some of the questions I ask people to consider when they're considering that. One is, is this a continued cycle that you've expressed that you require change or something that you need, especially you see this with like, you often see this more with men than women is like a man who's consistently cheating, who's consistently lying. It doesn't mean it doesn't exist with women if a man is hearing this. <laughs> so, so it still exists, but it's often more masculine. And the woman just keeps staying and keeps staying. And what you're doing is you're just re-wounding yourself over and over again. 
And so the invitation is, you know, that's a pattern, right? So we see a pattern, the pattern keeps happening. There's something you're not changing. And often the key to your own healing is to keep getting wounded till you learn the skill set, which is to leave, to ask for what you need, to stand up for yourself, to use that anger, because there's probably a lot there, a lot of resentment to change your world, to change your life. So the next question I ask people is, have you ever had the level of connection that you think you could have to get through this? Often the answer is no, it's people who chose from a very wounded space, sometimes it's yes. And then the third one is, do you wanna do the work? Do you actually wanna do the work? Like if your partner just fixed everything, would you want them? That's a really important question because often people are like, no, they're like addicted to the chaos. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of us associate love with chaos because we grew up with chaos. And then the last question I ask people is, is staying with them or leaving, which one is abandoning yourself? Mm-hmm. And that's a really good way to get to the truth. You know, because if staying with them is abandoning yourself, then you're consistently losing. If choosing someone else is not choosing you, don't fucking do it. And I think for a lot of us, that is a big amount of healing. Because in that choice of saying, I choose me, not you, we all of a sudden get this huge amount of freedom and healing that we've never had because it might be the first time anyone's ever chosen us. And that's why what we've been doing is putting that on our partner. I'm going to find someone who I need to choose me who will likely never fucking choose me, right? That's the curse of the, of the wound. It's really, we're just waiting to choose ourselves. So, you know, I I hope those questions help people. Um, And if you don't like the answer you got, then that's probably the answer that you need to pay attention to. Because I know that that's been true for me. It's like, what's the last thing I want to hear? Fuck, shit. (laughs) Yes, that's the truth. But when you can connect to the truth, you can change your life. You know, and I work with a lot of people who will say like, I feel like I'm going crazy when they're believing lies, when they're dealing with bullshit. And I'm like, yeah, you're going crazy because you have to pretend like that's not true. You have to live in a world where lies are the truth. When you live in a world where lies are the truth, you now have to go crazy because the truth isn't real. And so it takes the acknowledgement of pain and shame to reconnect to truth. But then you can do such magical shit with that, right? Like that's where the magic happens. Get pissed off, change your life. Like that's... (laughs) It's my new motto. I love it. I love it. Yeah. (laughs) So I actually had a question come in from one of my listeners about jealousy. And it is Mm. um, something that I think we all deal with at one point in a time. So whether it's because of other individuals coming in or career jealousy, which should be kind of completely different, how do we confront jealousy in a relationship? Well, first to acknowledge that jealousy is normal. You know, jealousy is also an evolutionary emotion in that, like when the research, when a man is jealous, he actually ejaculates harder. So that actually is interesting, right? So like in the desire to be the winning man, you know, he, and isn't it fascinating that when we see our partner desired by another, we desire them more, right? So there's an evolutionary pull to that. Often it can make us go kind of batty too, can't it? So I think the first part is just to acknowledge that jealousy is is normal. It's not, and it can be overtly unhealthy in that, right? We can obsess, we can become crazy about it. But the first thing I would want someone to know is like, you have to look at the safety of your relationship. Is your relationship safe? Do you have agreements about communication with people who might be threatening to the relationship? I think in the past, you know, like I was cheated on in one of my first relationships. And then in my next relationship, I was 
quite insecure about her communicating with men, um, other men. Um, and, you know, she said to me, like, your partner's past mistake is not my mistake. And I remember hearing that. And she said, I'm the one who goes home with you. And I was like, shit, that's good. <laughs> and that's the right thing I needed to hear. But at the same time, you know, you are allowed to have rules around engagement. You know, for me, my partner is my number one priority. If she's uncomfortable about anything, we can have a conversation about it and I can have boundaries around what's realistic. But our connection is my priority always. And if I was to, you know, because with work, I meet women all the time and, and like people from work, right? Like, like you and I met at Oahu, Hawaii, you know, and if you were to say, hey, let's go grab a bite or, to, you know, I would always tell her about it because for me, she has the right to that information. I never want to make a choice for her. But I also don't want to not be able to meet people and have business opportunities. So there has to be like a safety created around all my connections. And I'm always very overtly, I always make sure that the people I communicate with have a relationship with her. It's really important to me. Um, so how do you handle it? I think you look at it um, for information and you go, what is it about the situation that is making me feel jealous? What is the part of this that feels unsafe? Because jealousy comes from a lack of safety and security. And so, you know, in, in, the anxiety comes up because something's, the radar is going, something, we've seen something like this before. And then you could check in with yourself. Is it realistic? Is it actually, and what I would do personally is I would recommend making your partner part of the conversation. Because otherwise you'll feel jealous on your own and you won't feel, you'll feel shame around your jealousy like they've never done anything, da, 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 da. But you might have a past wound that's being asked to be healed. And it's being asked to be healed by saying to your partner like, this might sound crazy, right? <laughs> or this might not make sense or it might not feel realistic. But here's what I'm experiencing and I just need some of your help healing this. Now, if you actually have a right to be jealous, then that's a different conversation because that's like, hey, when you do this, it actually makes me feel like I'm not a priority. When you have these types of conversations with people or whatever it is, um, what I need in order to feel like a priority to you and to feel safe in our relationship is this. Because often we'll say stuff like, you always, you never, you do this. And as soon as you go at someone with, you do this, you're going to get defensiveness back. So I would invite you to step into a space of curiosity. Mm -hmm. But man, I know that feeling. It feels very vulnerable and very, it requires a lot of courage to have those conversations. Um, but you also have to trust your feelings. Yeah. You know, I it's think, a delicate subject. Yeah. I think that we also, from past relationships too, especially if it's like you said, like a partner that's cheated on you and has likely made you feel guilt for thinking one way or the other. Um, yeah. We feel a lot of shame for feeling something in a new relationship. So my next question for you kind of goes into trust. So how do you build that trust once it's been gone, even if it is from a past relationship? Well, if it's from a current relationship, then the conversation could be different. You know, I sort of see it like, if you see the relationship having an emotional bank account, which is what Stephen Covey used to use as an analogy, is when you do something like cheat or lie or break trust in some way, um, you take a huge withdrawal from the bank account and there's a deficit now. And it is your work, the couple's work, but mainly the, I don't want to use the person who did it to make deposits. 
So as the person who's been cheated on, you have every right to say, I want zero contact with blah, blah, blah. I want access to your Facebook, your phone. I want whatever creates security again. And if they don't want to do that, you have to stand in what's true for you of what you need in order for there to be transparency and and security. Now, the other part of this is if there's a re-violation of the same thing, which we see happen a lot, right? Because people are often caught in these patterns and cyclical cheating and cyclical tolerating. You become the enabler. So if you don't have a consequence that you're willing to actually follow through on, your boundaries are bullshit. They're just suggestions. And the child in you is going like, who stands up for us? Like, who fights for us? You keep putting us in the fucking firing line. Like, and that's where I say to people, like, get upset, like, get angry, and like, stand up for yourself and actually choose yourself. Because if you keep putting yourself in this wounding pattern, you're going to be sad. It's going to affect your health. It's going to affect the foods you choose. It's going to affect your body. It's going to affect your cortisol levels. You know, all of it is interconnected. Your body's going to be in fight, flight, freeze all the time. Your nervous system's going to be out of whack. You're not going to be able to poop. I mean, there's going to be tons of things that are going on. If it's from a previous relationship, then the conversation can be different. You know, expressing, I went through this in a past relationship. Sometimes what happens for me is I have an overt reaction to things and it's not always realistic. And so I just want to give you a heads up that I just would like your support and help. I'll tell you when it's going on. I'll tell you when it doesn't feel fair. Um, and I just needed us both to be open about that. Are you are you good with that? And other, otherwise, what we're doing is we're going to have it sabotage the relationship and secretly sort of take over. So transparency is key. And you know, if you're dating a man and you're having that conversation, men love helping fix. We love being part of if we get to be the guy who gets to help heal what some guy fucked up, we're like, hell yeah, I'll show you how good of a guy I am. You know, really we will. And you give us a purpose. It's like opening the peanut butter. I love that. I love that. It's We're opening your heart instead. Yeah. There, there yeah. You go. So on the topic of an open heart, um, how can we protect ourselves from this pain, but still live with an open heart and, you know, find those connections and meet those people? Yeah. You know, the it's such a challenge to stay open, you know, and feel um, safe. And, you know, the, the short answer is you can never prevent pain. And that's because pain is a guide. You know, I don't see emotions as bad or good. I see emotions as information. I mean, when you start to code emotions as information instead of bad or good, you won't avoid them. You'll step towards whatever you're getting information about. Um, But we are in a culture where we say, if you feel sad, you're depressed, we'll give you this test to take that almost everyone is depressed in that test. And then we'll give you a pill to numb the experience instead of teaching you how to change your fucking life. It drives me bananas. And don't get me wrong for all the people listening and get upset about that conversation. There are times when the pill is fine, but but there are times when it is not. And I think we're overtly prescribed. um, And we have this idea that bad feelings are bad. And I think feelings are just feelings. And instead of, um, you know, like if your hand was being injured by something, you were touching a stove, you would move your hand and you go, that's hot. I won't probably touch that again. But when we're, our emotions are being burnt, we take a pill to make it so we don't feel the burning instead of actually removing the hand mm-hmm. and learning about it. And that is, you know, I think the greatest transition and maybe struggle that we have as people is, is we don't see our feelings as, as information. So 
that's a roundabout way of saying, learn how to have boundaries. Boundaries are the most important thing that you will ever have. And whenever you love someone, you always take on the risk of hurt. And you know, like I've sat in experiences where I've been overtly hurting. And I have actually thought because of meditation and building the skill set, I have sat in that space and felt all of the love and that pain. And I felt gratitude as I'm being torn open. Mm-hmm. And that's a really interesting place to be because I never thought I'd ever experience that. I didn't know I could experience that. Um, and I think it's a really beautiful space to have experienced to say, like, I love you no matter what. Because my love isn't measured on you choosing me or you choosing something. It's just there. And, and I think when you can recognize that loving someone always means taking on an equal and opposite pain. In potential, always. It's like an elastic. The deeper you love, right? It can let go. And most of the time, we have loved and we've pulled that elastic back and we've let it go. And so we never pull it past there. Mm-hmm. And that's where conflict comes in. That's where we sabotage. That's when we choose unavailable people. That's when we stay with people who keep rewounding us. We keep getting the elastic just a bit back. But we never go past it. And getting past it is choosing ourselves. Getting past it is having boundaries. So you can think about it like the lover in you is like a child. And it's like how you're born, right? You're born as this baby and wide-eyed into the world. And you are open, wide open. Um, But the baby requires an adult. And if we didn't all, you know, we're all born with human parents, I, I think. And we all have... You know, parents who don't have often have great boundaries, who often weren't able to meet every one of our needs. And we have to learn to also be our own parent. We have to learn to be the warrior. You know, I think about like, you know, when you look at a toddler and they're scared, they hide beside their parent's leg, right? And they sort of like peep out the side of the leg at what's going on. You see this often like with a dog. If a dog runs up to a kid, they'll sort of like hide behind the leg. And I see myself as both the child and the parent in that situation. But I see instead of seeing myself as a parent in that, what I see myself is as a warrior. And I see it in this idea of I can love all out, but I also need the person who says, fuck that shit. Like, no, you're not going to do that. No, that's not okay. That behavior is safe. It's almost like the recess patroller, you know, (laughs) at school, like some things are okay and some things are not. And the warrior in me always has the child in me at priority. And since I don't have a parent to parent me now, I have to be the one who says what's okay and what is not. And, you know, I don't think we need to develop the child in us, the part who wants to love. We can often shut that off because of hurt. Um, But that's because we don't feel safe. We don't have the warrior fully developed. And to develop the warrior is the most important thing you can do. So that is a very long-winded answer. No, that was great. That I was... could have just said boundaries. <laughs> <laughs> no, I loved it. I mean, it's so powerful. And the visualization of having this inner child and the warrior and the adult is, it's really powerful. So thank you so much for sharing that. So my last question for you, if you could whisper in every couple's ear, the key to staying happy and in love in a relationship, what would you say? The key to being happy and maintaining love in a relationship, it would be hold on to yourself as you fall deeper in love with the other person. And just to give like a little bit of understanding of that, what I mean by that is you need to um, maintain who you are and fill your own cup and take care of yourself and ask for what you need and know that your needs can change. 
And you don't want to lose yourself in the relationship. The moment you lose yourself in the relationship and you lose your identity, you take away the space between you and the other person. And the space between you and the other person is what cultivates and creates desire. And you know, my dad said to me, I didn't understand it when he said it to me, but I remember it and understood it eventually. But he said to me that a relationship is a separate organism. And the two people are separate organisms that go together and create what is the relationship. Mm-hmm. And so often the question, the statement we make is my relationship isn't giving me what I need. And the alternate way of actually expressing that is what does my relationship need from me in order to feel that way? And that takes in that takes responsibility. And it, it's also really scary to say, I love you and I also need to go by myself to yoga. Or I love you and I actually need to go on a trip. Or I love you and I need you to take the kids right now. And I know there's not always space for all of those things. Um, but you can find fulfillment in your own identity and the books you read and walking you know, in the forest. You can find it in whatever way it does it for you. But never lose you. That is, I think we've seen a lot of models of previous relationships and marriages were structured. You know, the structure of marriage was for people to lose themselves, especially women. So I think it's a really important, I think we're prone to doing that instead of seeing that it's not selfish to take care of yourself. It's actually really important. Mm, I love that. Thank you so much for that. So Mark, where can we find you? What do you have going on and how can people continue learning from you? Um, uh, you can find me on Instagram at create love. You can find me on Twitter there too. On Facebook, I have a page where I share all the stuff from Instagram and sometimes like videos and articles. So you get a little more from there. But all the links in my Instagram bio have all of the stuff. Um, I have a course on boundaries that's on my Instagram. I have a course called Relationships 101 that I did with my good friend, Vienna Farron, who's a marriage and family therapist. Um, those are all on there. Um, and you can reach out to me and email me at connect at markgroves.tv, like television. And my website has articles I've written, videos, I have a YouTube channel too. I have all the social stuff, you know, that Amazing. people can find. I have a conference that's coming up uh, July 14th and 15th that is, um, uh, it's called Masters of the Universe Summit. And there are speakers from uh, every aspect, like Dallas Hartwick, who wrote The Whole 30, um, Sherry Salata, who was the president of the O Network, and like Oprah Winfrey, she was the executive producer of the show. There's a, what I did was I created the conference on the context or the idea of that we all find rock bottoms through different areas of our life, money, career, uh, spirituality, um, body, food, um, and love, of course. And I take experts in each area. And it's like a really fun conference. There's only 220 seats. Uh, it's in a theater in Granville Island in Vancouver. It's amazing. And if people want, they can use the code create the love and they'll save a couple hundred bucks off the ticket. It's only 250 bucks Canadian at that point, which in US dollars is like $12. It <laughs> sounds like a steal, honestly. And in Granville Island. But honestly, such a steal. And there's like free exercise, yoga, there's um, group fitness classes that fill up pretty quick, but they're all free. And there's a party on a Saturday night that's not like a club party. It's like just like a meet and greet and fun times. That's awesome. Amazing. Well, I think it's so that we find our community, you know? Yeah, and that's why. yeah absolutely. That sounds like such a fun event. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm so grateful. And I feel like I'm going to 
go back home and start communicating with my fiance. All right. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so thank, thank you for coming on. Oh, thank you so much for having me.